water. It's the source of all life. With climate change threatening its abundance, water is becoming a greater commodity around the world. Australia is the second most arid continent after Antarctica, so it's no wonder water can sometimes become political. With many large corporations seeking out lucrative mining, agriculture, and even fracking in the remote areas of the country, some say that water is the new gold. Hello, I'm Daryl Vandenberg. During this episode of Your World Uncensored, I'll be speaking with Dr. and Professor Anne Polina, an adjunct senior research fellow with the IHR and Nalungu Institute in Broome, Western Australia. She's also the chair of the Matuara Fitzroy River Council, made up of indigenous traditional owners that are fighting for the rights of the Fitzroy River. Considered the last stronghold for the endangered sawfish, Many indigenous people are concerned development plans will cause irreversible damage to the river. So in my language I said hello, my name is Anne Polina and that I am a woman of the Fitzroy River in the Kimberley region of Western Australia. The West Australia government was looking to have a water allocation plan completed in 2020. They've put that on hold due to COVID-19. Through that plan, mining giant and pastoralist Gina Reinhardt wants to access over 300 gigalitres of surface water to supercharge the economy. What are your concerns with the industry using that much water? Yeah, I, I think one of the things is we're in a really interesting situation here in the Kimberley. Because over the last 10 years, what we're seeing on country is that we're already being impacted on by climate change. So what's happening on country is that we already have water scarcity, food insecurity, the flowers aren't flowering to produce the food. So what we're seeing is that we're already being impacted on by climate change. And so now we have a conversation about, OK, um, we're looking at development in northern Australia, we need to turn it into the next food bowl. All of these sorts of conversations are on the table. So one of the things we're saying is that this is an opportunity to do this correctly. This is an opportunity to bring all of us to the table, the pastoralists, the agriculturists, traditional owners, the Shire Council, local government, all of those sorts of things. And one of the things we're saying is that we need to look at what has happened in the Murray-Darling Basin. We need to learn from the Murray-Darling Basin so we don't have those mistakes up here. So one of the things we're saying is that this is a pristine river. It's National Heritage listed. It was listed in 2011. It's also an Aboriginal Heritage site. So what we're saying is that we as traditional owners who've been looking after this system from the beginning of time as the first water managers are saying we need to do this right. If we're talking about development, what does that mean? If we're talking about extraction of large volumes of water, how will that impact on traditional owners, on the river, on fishermen, on a whole range of different people? So one of the things we're saying is that if we're going to have development in the Fitzroy catchment, the Fitzroy River, what we need to do is ensure that, one, it's grounded in science. We don't need historical data. We need projections in terms of how do we model this around what is currently happening with the scenarios that are planned around climate change. One of the things we're saying as traditional owners is that we're not anti-development. What we're saying is that all of these projects need to go on the table. We need to have a look at them, but most importantly, we need to understand cumulative impacts of development, cumulative impacts of risk, and how is this going to impact on people, particularly traditional owners, who live on the Fitzroy River and who are heavily reliant on that system 
for their lifestyle, their life ways and their livelihoods. So one of the things is we understand that there is a lot of pressure in regards to the Northern Food Bowl, but what we're saying is that we um, want to make sure that we minimise the risk and any um, consequences of the negative impacts of development. We need to ensure that we've got good science. We need to ensure that this information is looked at from a wide range of uh, perspectives, but most importantly, it needs to be grounded in the current and future projections of climate change. So one of those things is that we need to understand that if somebody is going to come in and do development in the region, they must come in and engage on good faith. Traditional owners must have free, prior and informed consent. We need to put these projects up and look at how are the actions of developers going to impact not just on the river and traditional owners, but on all of the life that's connected to the Fitzroy River. In recent times, we've seen really, you know, scarcity in water impacting on the freshwater sawfish, and those sawfish are a bioindicator for the well-being of the river. So if we're already seeing these changes, we need to proceed with caution. We need to be very, very clever that any of the information put up is peer-reviewed science, that we must bring into that equation Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous science, because as I said earlier, we have been managing this system from the beginning of time. So we really need to look at all of those and think um, one of the things the Matawara Fitzroy River Council has been very strong about is one, recognising that this is national heritage, but it's also Aboriginal heritage listed. So the Fitzroy River or the Matawara is the largest registered Aboriginal heritage site in the state. So we're learning from also the destruction of the Jugan Gorge Cave and we understand that there is a proposal for a review of a bill and what we're saying as traditional owners is that we don't need a review, we need reform. How is the process of getting industry and government to adhere to free prior and informed consent protocols regarding the water allocation plan? How has the relationship been like so far in reaching some sort of agreement? It's definitely a big conversation around the world between governments and indigenous people on how to move forward with industrial projects and development. Yeah, look, that's a very important question. And I think one of the things that makes this Fitzroy River catchment so unique is that, um, you know, several years ago we had a um, committee that came together, the Fitzroy River Catchment Committee, and what that showed is that it can bring different stakeholders to the table, importantly to build trust, but to have an open, transparent uh, process whereby all of us sitting at the table can see what these projects are. So we have a history of having the Fitzroy Catchment Committee here. What we're saying to our state government is that in order to prevent the disasters of the Murray-Darling Basin, we must have a statutory framework to be able to look at how we're going to develop and consider these projects that are being put on the table. So we believe from the Matawara Fitzroy River Council perspective that unless there's a statutory framework or a way to bring everybody to the table, we will be struggling to have free prior and informed consent. With the council saying the Water Act, with the state being out of date, are, are you worried large corporations will be able to go hog wild on the water and just pump it to death? Yeah, no, we are concerned about that. And it's not a case of saying, not in my backyard, but the Ord River was developed for cotton. Mm. And at the moment, the East Kimberley traditional owners are working very closely with developers to look at how they may start to grow cotton in the Ord. So one of the things is we need economy of scale. So what we're saying is that maybe we should be seriously considering not just cotton, but any of the other sorts of... Um, projects they're looking to develop, maybe if there is a, a mindset of growing cotton, we should be you know, tunnelling that to the Ord River. 
Well, one of the things we're very, very concerned about, particularly where we live, is a savanna system. And we're talking about large um, areas of land being totally cleared for monocrops. And what we're saying is that this system has relied on diversity of bio biodiversity. And so from that we're saying is that we're very concerned that really what they're after is not so much what they can grow, but we believe that the new gold is water and that people are coming for the water. And we're quite concerned about that because the state government currently at the moment has a very old um, water act, was done in 1914. They're currently reviewing that. And one of the things that the developers have been asking for is they want certainty. So in terms of being issued with a water license, which means a water right, what the developers are now saying is that we want more than um, 10 years of certainty because we're going to be investing. We want 50 year licenses. And what we're saying is that we really think that we should be sitting down, proceeding with caution, acting in good faith, putting all of the evidence on the table. And Kimberley people, Kimberley people in the region, which includes fishers, recreational, pastors, graziers, traditional, we need an opportunity to come together and look at how this is going to impact, not just now, but for future generations to come. What similarities are there between the Murray-Darling and the Fitzroy? The Murray-Darling saw mass fish deaths in the millions in a devastating drought. Ooh, yeah, look, in terms of the Murray-Darling Basin, someone might say, well, what's the comparison? Why are you looking at the Murray-Darling Basin as opposed to the Fitzroy? And what we're saying is that we can learn from the Murray-Darling system because it's fully allocated. We see that that river is dead, that traditional owners are crying in sorrow and grief because they're, the thing that provided the cultural authority is no longer there flowing. So we're very concerned about that and we're working very, very closely with the traditional owners from the Barker, with farmers and graziers from that river system and all of them are saying you must proceed with caution because once we say yes, it's highly likely that we're going to be able to manage and control the consequences of those decisions going into the future. So could there be any surface water extraction? There's a CSIRO, Australia's Science Research Agency report that says Extracting up to 1,000 gigaliters annually from the river is sustainable. Do you have an issue or concern with that report? Well, I do have an issue with that report. One of the things that I'm particularly concerned about is the large volumes that they were touting were available. I think one of the things in terms of that report is that I've had independent scientists look at that and they're a little bit concerned that we didn't get specificity in that, which means that when we did sampling along the river, because the river is folded and fractured because of the geological uplift, what we're seeing is that when the CSIRO came, there were random samples taken from all along the river system. And what we're talking about is what scientists call triangulation. We've got to put a, a bore down here and we've got to take a sample from there. We've got to move to the left and right and also do that sort of sampling. So what we're concerned about is that there was no real specificity done in that. We still don't know what the relationship is between groundwater and surface water. No one in government or scientists anywhere on the planet can tell me what we're actually dealing with in terms of the relationship between surface water and groundwater, how much water is actually contained in the bucket that everybody espouses to. And we just, as I said, there's so much we don't know about the system. And so what we're saying is that we need more science, we need more studies, we need to be able to triangulate the story, look for multiple ways to come to what is truth, but I think we also need to be proceeding with caution because what I think we're talking about is mining water. So you kind of want to plan like a hundred years ahead or something? As I said, our relationship is a deep relationship with nature. We are here because we have balanced the harmony of our environment for thousands of years. When you talk to um, traditional owners, what we're saying is that the system's fully allocated. 
it's allocated to people, it's allocated to living water systems, it's allocated to the birds, the trees, all of those systems that rely on this living force to be able to sustain our lives and our circular uh, economy. So we're very um, cautious about you know, entering into this. We want to enter in good faith, but the minimum standard must be a statutory framework. So it doesn't matter which government's in or out, that we have a basis for genuine dialogue and a cooperative way to move forward. And it also would give the opportunity to, um, to the local government to have a level of objectivity to say, okay, how do we look at this from an independent objective perspective? Chuck out the emotions, chuck out, you know, all of those sorts of things. How do we enter into a spirit of collaboration and goodwill? Because this river has been here, we've been caretaking it from the beginning of time. And we want the state to proceed with caution. One, because it's national heritage listed, which means it belongs to all Australians. But the most important point is that it's a registered Aboriginal heritage site. And there's still a lot that we don't know about this system. That's the big thing. We, ha we have to know more. Yeah, we have to know more. And, and what we're saying is that we need the investment and the science to be able to say, OK, how do we do this in a way that's going to create certainty? Certainty not just for business, but certainty for the traditional owners who've been guarding this from the beginning of time. Has the government been listening to that? Um, I think there's a, um, a different response from government. They are listening, but I think one of the things we're saying is that we really need to be grounding this information in current science not historical data. And how different it is, what the different systems are, the different relationships between surface aquifers and deep aquifers, and that Indigenous people with traditional knowledge must be seen as science because it's knowledge and practice that's been generated over thousands and thousands of years that shows that we have cared for the system as a living water system with a living spirit. We say that the Fitzroy River is a living ancestral being. It not only has a right to life, it has a right to live and flow. You mentioned flora isn't flowering properly. I talked to an indigenous cattle rancher in the Northern Territory that said he can't find a male native bee and says that's thrown the country off balance. What have been your observations? It's a very good question in terms of what are the signs and the observations that we have living on country that shows us we're already being impacted on climate change. And um, it's really interesting because the other day one of my aunties came and she was so excited that she had a BOAB license to be able to collect bulbs, but I was able to do a um, drive through the country and there was not one boab fruit on the tree, and that's 400 kilometre round trip. So what we're seeing is a loss of these sorts of food supplies, medicines, which really impact on our lives. The WA government is currently working with Indigenous traditional owners to create a Fitzroy River National Park. The aim is to protect large areas of the river. The McGowan government has also committed to not dam the river. Ahead of completing the allocation plan, the government is looking for submissions from stakeholders through a submission paper until May 2021. Meanwhile, the Matawara Fitzroy River Council has submitted a report with 15 positions aimed at protecting Indigenous law, culture, among other priorities. Stay tuned to the Your World Uncensored podcast for an update on this story as it develops. We'll be sure to follow up on the water allocation plan and what the world could learn from the process on how to take care of the natural environment and including Indigenous people. Be sure to like, subscribe, and download Your World Uncensored wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. <laughs>